Are you a starseed? Do you have a mission here on earth? Do you sometimes struggle to fit in? You're in the right place. Join me and special guests as we share our personal stories as Galactic Ground Crew here on Becoming Iris. Welcome everybody to Becoming Iris. And on today's episode, I have a beautiful guest, Yana St. Levy. Yana hi. is hi. <laughs> Yana is a Canadian designer. She's a writer, an illustrator, and a digital creator. And she's also a mother and many other things. But I'm very excited to have you on today, Yana. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. So I would love for people that aren't familiar with you and your work, I would love for you just to explain in your own words what it is that you do. So I have a publishing company called Levitate, which is a play on like my last name. And it's all about creating spiritual tools or mindful tools to help support people in their healing journey. And I utilize Tarot and Oracle and other types of decks of cards to help people, or I hope that it helps people on their healing journey. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I was, the way that we actually met was I was fortunate to be part of your last beautiful tarot deck, which is Age of Aquarius. And it's an absolutely stunning deck. Thank you. Well, first of all, how did you come to be doing this type of work? Like, how did you, have you always been creative? Have you always been into art? How did that come about? Yeah. So when I was little and just trying to figure out myself and who I was, from the moment that I was given like pencil crayons and markers, I was drawing and I was painting and I was just obsessed with art. Anything I could get my hands on, coloring books. I remember like when I was little, a lot of my gifts would be special paper for doing watercolor. And back in the 90s, it was really expensive to buy art supplies. So a lot of times like that would be a gift for me. And I just always kind of gravitated toward art. And I think that was because that was the only way I could really express myself at that time. When I was born, my first language was Spanish. So being in Canada and living in a European household and my first language being Spanish and then having to switch to English when school started, it was a very hard transition for me. And so I didn't actually learn how to read and write until I was like in grade eight. Like it took me that long to figure out the English language. And so because I couldn't read, because I couldn't write, the only way for me to express myself was through the form of art. Yeah. So. (laughs) And your art is so beautiful. And how did you make that transition to digital? Like, was that something that just came naturally to you? So basically, I kind of dabbled in like Photoshop a little bit when I was in high school. And I never really went deep into it, though, because I wasn't really sure. Like my family, like we didn't get our first computer until I was like in grade 10. So for me, 
computers came later in life. And the iPad, when it first released so many years ago, I wanted one really bad because I saw online like the art you could do on it, but I couldn't afford it. So as time went on, when I hit my, I think it was like my early 30s, it was literally one year ish before the pandemic, I bought myself an iPad and I said, you know what? I'm going to teach myself how to do digital art and I'm going to use Procreate because I saw all the wonderful things that you could do on there. So I bought the iPad and then it sat there until... So I bought it in like December or January of 2018, 2019. And then it just kind of sat there and I didn't touch it until the following October, November. So it was like 2019, October, November, I started dabbling with it. And I was like, it's like, I just felt this pull to start doing it. And then literally just a few months later, the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, I was at home. I had to leave school because I have two small children and they were at home as well. I had one that couldn't go to daycare anymore and one that was being homeschooled for senior kindergarten. And so while I was trying to juggle all of that on my off time, because we couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you and like what Australia did when the pandemic first happened. But here in Canada, it was like, we couldn't go on the boardwalk. They were blocking off everything. Bylaw was everywhere. Just like you were being watched like a hawk. It was like crazy. Mm. And so I just, I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy myself a desk and just, I need some creative time to myself. And that's what I did. I started doing art on the iPad when the pandemic hit. And it just kind of, escalated from there. And almost three, four years later, this is where I am now. Amazing. I think that's one of the best things to come out of that whole situation is that it seems like so many people sort of either were pushed or had like these opportunities that came out of it because they couldn't do what they were doing before or whatever. So that is really amazing. And I'd love for you just to share a little bit about what you did before, because I know that you have a very different background. Yes. So, well, <laughs> you were in the military or doing policing, is that right? Yeah. So how did so, you go from that to this? So, yes, because I was an ESL student and I was like delayed in learning subjects and things like that, I wasn't really focused on what I was going to do after high school. I was just trying to get through the day. And it for me, it was like day by day. I just had to like get over it. And so one day, randomly, my aunt Christina said, you look like you would be a really good police officer. And I was like, that's a good idea. And I just, I never showed interest in policing or military or anything like that. But my family, once that idea started like circulating, everyone was like, you need to go for it. You need to do it. And it took me out of 
what I knew that I wanted to do, which was like art in some form and put me in this completely opposite career path. And I didn't have the wherewithal to understand. Not only did I not want to do it really, like internally in my soul, I didn't want to do it, but I didn't know how to say no. I have, especially European families, there is no boundaries. So I felt like now looking back, I was pretty much like pushed into it because my family thought that I wasn't going to be able to achieve anything other than utilizing my body in this type of way. So it didn't require much of you to be, I'm not saying anything about being a police officer or being military, but it does not require of you to have very many, much understanding, much knowledge, much education. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you can just do it and make a career out of it and be done with it. Like you, there's not much more thought to be put into Mm -hmm. it. How did you find that? And how long were you in the military for? Like, how was that for you? So basically what happened was when I was 17, I was in grade, I was in grade 12 and I joined the military, like through my school. And I joined the Hamilton RHLI, Royal Hamilton Light Infantry. And I did that for six months of my grade 12 and I graduated and then I just continued on. And I worked as a driver. I actually got my first driver's license was a military driver's license. I was driving like those big green troop (laughs) transporting trucks before I got my little car license, like my civilian car license. It's really funny, but It was an amazing experience being in the military. I was in the military for about three years and uh, always in the back of my mind thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to end up taking the career path of military police or civilian police or OP, or there was talk of me going to different places to be a part of different policing units. And it just, it never really felt right. But yeah, like that was my career, like when in my late teens, early twenties, my young adulthood. And it's just so vastly different than what I'm doing now. Yeah. So. (laughs) So after you were in the military, what did you do next? So basically after I left the military, I just did. And what, what was there something that happened to that? Oh yes. Caused you to leave the military? Yes. So in in between all that happening, my mom was diagnosed with a disease called scleroderma when I was in grade 10. And she had been a little bit off for a couple of years before then, but she was finally diagnosed then. And in 2005, on Christmas Day, she died. And that was the thing that not only took the wind out of my sails, to continue on with policing and military, but it was like an awakening and it basically woke me up and it was like, what is it that you really want to do? Because we don't have, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. 
And I think it was that realization, my mother's death, that like really catapulted me into trying to figure out who I really was and not what everybody else saw me to be. Because I think that oftentimes we live by other people's opinions of who who they think that we are. And I know that in my life, the majority of it was that. It was to please other people because of when I was younger and I had the like language barrier and all that, I was so badly bullied. I had no friends. I was called stupid, fat, and ugly every single day of my childhood. It was like a never-ending cycle of just being like tortured by people like every day. And I don't really want to get into like my home life, but my home life was not very good either. And when you finally come into that realization that you really don't even know who you are, it's like a spell like was lifted. Whatever this haze was just kind of evaporated. And I always kind of felt like it was my mom in a way healing like whatever connections weren't connecting in my brain to help me understand like, Yenna, this is not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be doing something else. And it was not only awakening, it was a traumatic experience. It was, I don't even really know how to explain it in all honesty. And looking back on it, it does feel kind of like a dark night of the soul. You're now, at that time, my mom was like my savior, kind of. So like, my security blanket was gone. And now it was just me. So I had to figure it all out on my own. I didn't have really anybody paying attention to me. I was young and I had friends, but nobody really cared the way you would think that they would care. And it was just like also an awakening of you are alone. You only have you. And so like, how are you going to proceed? And so, oh, I made all kinds of mistakes. I did all kinds of stupid things. And from that point when she died to like my 30s, I feel was a, like 10 years of just growing, like finally trying to figure out who I am. And being okay with the fact that I just am who I am and I'm not going to be able to check everybody's whatever list they have. And even though my life has been really hard and weird and crazy things have happened, I feel like it's all divinely guided and all it's an intricate plan. And I don't even understand how I'm here now. I'm just, I'm embracing it. Thank you for sharing. And I'm just really interested to know what does your family think now about what you do now that you've been published and you're successful as an artist? Is that surprising to them or are they like, oh, we always knew you were, how do they receive receive you now? So a lot of my extended family, I don't even really talk to. 
I don't even know if they're aware Mm -hmm. of what I do. My immediate family is very much, oh, that's nice, Yana. (laughs) That's cool. But it's not pat on the back. Oh Mm -hmm. my God, this is amazing. I have my best friend and that does that for me. And a lot of the people that I connect with online, they're my hype people. But like in my immediate life, I don't really... I have my small support group. But other than that, I don't... Do you feel it's because they don't necessarily get it? Is that something you feel that maybe they don't really understand exactly what it is that you're doing? I think that it's that. But also, I grew up in a very religious household. So Roman Catholic, born-again Christian, hardcore European... They're not really no. down with the woo. <laughs> They're not down with the woo woo. Yeah. yeah. And I'd love to talk about that. I mean, I also grew up in a Catholic household and I guess I think it's like a common theme to when you go through an awakening and then the way that you perceive the world is very different from say your family members or yeah those close people. And your artwork with the decks that I have seen, they are somewhat galactic and all of that type of thing. So how, tell me about that journey, about how did you come in into that? Have you had a sort of like visitation or what's your relationship with the galactics? So basically uh, it's actually really crazy. And I'm going to tell you some, I'm just going to let it all out on this That's podcast. what we're here for. <laughs> I don't expect people to believe me. But I have encountered some things that I don't know how to explain. And I feel like this is the right time to talk about it. I'm going to start with this family story. Okay. Okay. So my mother told me this story when I was young. And I feel like this is like the beginnings of the story of my life. So we used to live in Brampton, Ontario. And in the nineties, Brampton was all pretty much, it was like all farmland. It was very underdeveloped. There was like the mall and suburb areas, but it wasn't like it was today. And so there was all these back roads you could go to and from other cities, which is where like my grandparents lived. And I can't remember what it's called but somewhere like closer to Mississauga area, I guess. But we would take, in my childhood, we would take like these back country roads. And so she told me that one day while she was pregnant with me, she was probably like eight months pregnant. She was driving down one of these country roads and it was really like foggy. And down this one particular road, there was only one light. And she used to wake up really early because she worked at Credit Valley Hospital. She was like the receptionist, like the lady that took your information when you go into the hospital. And she was like either going there or coming back from there, going to my grandmother's house, something like that. And the fog was so thick that she couldn't see anything, but she knew that the light was coming up on this one particular road. She just couldn't see it. So she was driving and then all of a sudden she saw the red light 
like it was red. And she knew from the position of where the light was in accordance to where the car was that she was in the middle of the intersection. And just as she had that realization, she looked to her left at the the driver's side door and there was two lights. And she was like, Yana, I thought it was a car. And I was like, in this moment, she goes, I'm going to die. Please let my baby live. And she passes out. She said, Yana, I just passed out. Before the car hit me, it was like right there. She passed out. She woke up. I have chills. She woke up, parked on the side of the road, past the light, down a kilometer. And the car was in park and the seat was leaned back. And she woke up like it was like a dream. And she said, from that moment, she's like, I should, she was like, I should have died. I don't know what happened, how I moved from the intersection to down the road. And she was like, and I didn't know where I was. I just knew that I was on the side of the road because I, she could see the asphalt and then the, the gravel part of the side. And she was like, I didn't know where I was. She was like, I was all like kind of disoriented in a way, but she looked up and she saw a sign for a motel. And she was like, oh, I know where this, this motel is. And then she was able to, from that point, figure out how to get home. But she said to me, she was like, I had that experience. I never told anybody, but she told me because she was like, nobody would believe me if I spoke about it. She's like, but I had this feeling that I just, I came out of this feeling and I was like, thankful. And I had this feeling that like my baby was important for some reason. And I was like, dang, that's. The story in itself. I'm getting the chills. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The story in itself is so, it's just so mind boggling. Right. And Mm -hmm. that was when she told me that story, I could feel it in my soul. Like they saved her, whoever it was, saved her because they didn't want to just save her. They wanted to save me. And who the hell am I? Right. I've lived most of my life thinking like, I'm just another ant on an anthill. There's nothing like a good part of my life was like, I'm just whatever. And I just kind of bounce along in existence with everyone else and not really thinking that anything would come of anything that I did. And it's just so funny how all these things, the domino effects have brought me here now Mm -hmm. to where I am. But that was like the first story. And the reason why she told it to me was because I was having experiences that I couldn't really explain. And uh, I, yeah, I have experiences with lights in the sky. So I have this thing where like, I can, I don't know what to, I don't know how to explain it. I've seen, they call them UFOs, right? Or just lights. I have the, I feel like I have the ability to call them in and all of my close friends have seen them with me. So it's hard because when they come, 
I can't really control when they come and who they show themselves to. But one of the times that I had a friend who I thought could handle see, she had a mental breakdown. And like, it's different when you are used to seeing these things and they kind of like call. It's hard to explain. It's like an internal call. And like, I'll go outside and be like, oh, hey, how's it going? But I've never seen a being per se, not that I know of, but I do see the lights. I have one orange light that follows me around quite frequently. So yeah, it's... Do you have a feeling that like this is star family? Do you have any feeling of where they might be from? And if that's like where you're from or what's your feeling about that? I have a crazy idea of what I think is happening, but I don't know, right? I found out when I was pregnant with my second child that I have O null blood. So my blood type is O null. I don't have the RH factor. That's so, quite a, I'm O negative as well. It seems to be yes. quite a common thing with star seeds. Yes. People, yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. And you know what? It's funny that you say that because when I talk to people about the blood types, it's like, I feel like I am connect. I have a connection to you yes. and I don't know why, yeah. but you just revealed to me that you have O negative blood and I'm like, Oh, Hey sister. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like there's like, I don't ask every person that I meet, but sometimes when I'm talking about this kind of stuff, I'm like, what blood type are you? And it does seem to be just anecdotally from what yeah. I've encountered that it is quite common. Yes. To have that or a negative. Yeah. Especially when you're having like external experiences. Mm -hmm. So like physical, external, I feel like O negative actually pulls that in more. And I don't really understand why. I think it's a vibration. So I've had like psychics come up to me throughout my life. And they said to me like, you are a pillar of light. And I'm like, what does that mean? And they're like, you can't see it. And this was back before I got into Tarot and Oracle and my healing journey and learning about spirituality, what true spirituality is. It is not in this indoctrination that you see in the world. And I feel more connected to God or source or the creator than any one of these people who, I don't really want to get into it because I know that it's a touchy subject. And I feel a connection to the divine more than I feel a connection to anything or anyone else. Like I'm here living a physical life on this earth, but I have a connection that is is undeniable to something beyond the veil of this earth. And uh, yeah, but Something that just popped into my mind is, and I find really interesting because I know that you have Spanish heritage, is that apparently there's a certain region, I believe it's the north of Spain. Yeah. Where is that, is your family connected to that area? Because isn't Um, that quite common that there's like a, nearly all the people there are negative? Yes. I can't think, what's that region called? Do you know the name of what I'm talking about? I I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure it starts with a B. Is it? Is it? And they wanted to become their own country? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So 
my background is Croatian and Spanish. Okay. So my, my, on my dad's side, they, everyone was born in Southern Spain, but my grandmother and my grandfather, my dad's father lived in Africa. So Mm -hmm. my dad was born in Africa. He was raised in Africa. And then he went from Africa back to Spain and with my grandmother after my grandfather died of malaria in Africa. And then he came, they both came to Canada. My mom was born in Croatia. She lived in Croatia until she was like 10 or 11 with her whole family there. And then from Croatia, they came to Canada. And then my mom and dad met in university. But the reason why I say that is because the Basque people, that's what they're called. Basque people, yes, that's it. The Basque people, their heritage is that whole area. So it's like, I'm from like Spain and Croatia. They could have come from Basque. Yes. The only thing is, I didn't know my mom's or my dad's blood type but my dad says that my mom didn't have old blood and he doesn't have old blood so that's another thing that I'm like that doesn't make any sense to me why I have old blood but nobody in my family does and well from what I understand nobody has the old blood however there's this like weird story from when I was in high school and I was getting my I was donating blood for the first time. Then what they do is they prick your finger and then they put a couple of drops to see if you're A, B, A, B, whatever, Mm -hmm. right? And this was in the 90s. And he took my blood and he put it in the dropper to see what type I was. And it wasn't melding the way it was supposed to. It wasn't showing him like a definite, like, She's A, A, B, whatever, blood Mm -hmm. type. And he like was like, well, that's weird. What's going on (laughs) with this? And then he like goes to his friend or like the coworker and can you tell like what blood type she is? And they're like, oh, that looks like A, B. And I was just like looking at them like, isn't it important to know (laughs) for sure what it is? If you don't know what it is, don't put it down. But they put it in a system. They gave me a card. And they said, he goes to me, he hands me the card and he goes, you're AB, your blood type is AB, you're nothing special. He said that to me. And I thought, number one, what an a-hole for saying that. And number two, that doesn't make any sense because my blood was doing something weird in that little thing he was like playing Mm -hmm. with the dropper. And I said, whatever. And I just let it go. But it always stayed with me. And then... I had my first daughter, Layla, and I had a horrible pregnancy. So her father is O positive, whereas I'm O null. And we didn't think anything of it, but I had a horrible pregnancy. Like my liver was damaged. My pancreas was damaged. My gallbladder was damaged. And the doctor never checked my blood, right? Because if you're O negative or O null, you're supposed to take a special shot to help your body not attack the fetus, right? If it's a different blood type than you. So I had this horrible pregnancy. 
I felt like I almost died a few times. And I just thought, oh, I guess this is just how pregnancy is. And then I had my second child, Leona. And when I was in the waiting room, because I had to have a C-section, I was a placenta previa. So the placenta formed on the bottom. So there was no exit for her. So I needed a C-section. The anesthesiologist came in and he goes, do you know your blood type? And I said, yeah, it's A, B, whatever. Because I had the card from high school. And he's, okay, well, do you have the thing? I'm like, I'm not sure, but this is what they gave me. So I gave it to him or whatever. He's like, you know what? I don't trust this. I'm just going to run a test quickly to see what you are. And he leaves, comes back a couple hours later with my doctor in the room that's going to be like doing the procedure. And he goes, Yana, you have O, like your O null. Do you know what that is? And I'm like, no. He goes, you have one of the rarest blood types in the entire world. And I was like, I just looked at him like, what? And my, and then my doctor, who's been my doctor for my babies, looked at me, was like, what the hell? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, look at, I have the like card. You never tested me. And he's like, I should have, I had, like, I was supposed to give you a shot. Maybe your pregnancy would have been better. You could have died. And it was just me, the anesthesiologist and the doctor all staring at each other. What the hell, right? And so the anesthesiologist was like, thank God I checked your blood because if we would have put something else in you, if we had to do like a, a blood transfer fusion or whatever, we could have damaged you. Like we could have, you could have died basically. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I love talking about blood types because I'm like just so intrigued I'm by so the I'm so intrigued thing. by it too. And it's really interesting because I also had obviously being O negative. And then when I had my son and I had an awful pregnancy and I don't think I ever checked, like after he was born, there was something. But anyway, what I'm, what I'm really interested in is, so I've heard that Basque region. Yes. Potentially where they actually came from is off planet. Like initially, that's like an off planet hub, which is why they're so different and want to be their own. They're like, we're not part of any other. Yes. I would love to go visit there. I heard that one of the, one of the key features of the Basque people is that they have a gold ring around their pupil Mm. and I have a gold ring around my pupil. Wow. And and so does my brother and my sister. Mm. Me and my sister have it the most prominent. My dad has it, but nobody in his family had it. I don't think. So my dad had the gold ring. I have it. My sister has it. My brother has it a little bit. But the thing with the gold ring around the eye is that it doesn't come in until you're about five years old. So both my daughters have blue eyes like me, but my daughter, Liana, she's just turning six. And I just started noticing that her gold ring is coming in around mm-hmm. her eyes that, oh, because I, w- I was thinking to myself, oh, she probably has her dad's eyes, which are more like a soft light blue mm-hmm. as mine are more, more, I don't know. It's like a 
blue green mm-hmm. in certain lights. And, and then, so her gold ring came in and I'm just like, I'm just so in awe of it. It's such a, it's a feature that doesn't show until later. And then it's, well, where did it come from? And I heard that the Basque people, that's one of their key features of knowing that mm. you're like part of the line is the O negative blood, but also this gold ring around the pupil, which is really interesting. I love that. I never heard about this gold ring. I'm going to look into that. It's absolutely yeah. And one thing that you also mentioned, which I found really in- interesting was with the UFOs or the, the ETs or whatever you want to call them about how yep. they might be attracted to you because yes. of your blood type. And I'm sure it's like a frequent, like I'm sure that there's many factors, but do you ever feel, or like I just feel to ask you about, do you think that you might have ever been abducted or as as much as you are interesting to like maybe friendly staff family, yeah. there might have been other ones yes. that came in? Is that something, because that's something that I personally experienced yeah. and this other guy who's O negative, we both feel that we were yes. abducted when we were children. So I'm interested to know your experience if you're happy to talk about it. Yes. So when I was young, I didn't know anything about quote unquote aliens. So I had this fear in me that I can't really explain of being taken. So I I have the, okay, so everybody processes trauma differently. And for me, I lose time. So for example, when my mother died, I don't remember the entire year after she passed away. My grandma says that she came and lived with us and I went, I was going to, to college for policing, I don't remember. Like, I just don't remember. And I always, I have a weird memory. Like I, my memory kind of turns on and off. And so my family always jokes with me because I can watch a movie and then rewatch it again. I just watched it for the first time, even though it was the 300th time. And I've always been like that. And I have a feeling that maybe it has something to do with maybe something that was going on in my childhood, but I am not, it's not in my consciousness. Like it's not in my conscious mind, but perhaps my subconscious mind, there's something going on there. I don't know. I don't know if I've seen anything like a being physically, like in my presence, but I do feel spirit and I feel energy and I think maybe that's a part of it as well. Because the lights in the sky, it's come to my understanding that the lights that I see in the sky are not a being. I feel like they are interdimensional vehicles. I don't know how else to explain it. It's like a wheel that can kind of go in and out in between the veil. Yes. And what is moving it? I don't know. Is there something inside of it? Is it just a consciousness? I'm not really sure. Is that how consciousness behind the veil shows itself to people living reality on the earth? I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. Would like to one day maybe be do a maybe like a session with hypnosis. But also at the same time, it kind of scares me because if I'm locking it away 
so hard. If my brain is locking it away in that way, if something did happen, unlocking and opening that door could be a really bad decision. I'm one of those people that like, I prefer not to drink. I don't do drugs. I am very strict about my consciousness being here and not being taken somewhere else because I feel like it can be manipulated. Yeah, It's hard to explain. So, but I wasn't always like that. You go through your twenties, you want to drink, you want to do whatever, play around. But as I've come into who I am, I feel that I'm already in my dream state and my mind taken to so many places Yeah, that for me to open up the door of mind altering anything, I think it would be a very bad decision yeah. on, on my part. Yeah. I'd love to know, I would love for you to talk a little bit about your relationship with tarot and how you came to that specifically. Is that something that you'd always been interested in or is there something that, how did you come to, and do you read for people? Do you actually do tarot readings for people as well? Can you share just a little bit about what you actually do and how you came to have that connection with the tarot? So basically, ever since I was young, I was so attracted to tarot, oracle, witchy spells and manifestation and things like that. But because my mother actually was so hardcore into Christianity, I had a really hard time allowing myself to let go, right? Because It is very, like when you're raised in a household like that, you just, you're so scared of the possibility that you're going to go to hell or, you know what I mean? It's terrifying. And also you're young and you don't really know. And it's like, you're just listening to the people who, who you think have your best interest at heart. So yeah, I was always like interested, but always restricted myself. I'm very much a person that restricts myself. I never get too much into anything. I don't like the feeling of being addicted to anything. So, and that can be, it's a spectrum of things, right? And so I finally, I remember about a year before the pandemic. So it was like the summer before I bought the iPad, I went with my friend at the time into, I think it was a shop called the Witches Fix in Hamilton. And I was looking at all the tarot decks and I was like humming and hawing. I never bought one before. Right. So I was like, what do I, am I going to do this? This is a big step for me. And so I was like looking at all the tarot decks and I picked up a tarot deck by Danielle Noel. And I had the deck in my hand. I think it's the Moon Child deck, the tarot deck. And I was looking at it and they had one that was like open that you could look through the cards. And I was so enamored. I was like, it was like I was falling into it 
and I couldn't stop myself. And it was this like whole body vortex. And it was like, you know, when <laughs> it's so weird when in the movie, Harry Potter, when he picks up the wand, when he mm-hmm. takes the wand for the first time, and it was like, <laughs> that's how I felt when I picked up her deck. <laughs> I was like, my life is transformed. <laughs> this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. I want this is me. I am it. Yeah. And I was like, oh God. And it was, it was so expensive. It was like 80 something dollars. And I was like, shit, I'm poor as hell. And, but I got it anyways. And I remember just looking at it and just like being so drawn in. And I basically said, that's it. This is everything about it was like, just, it drew me in. Mm -hmm. And even, so me picking up that deck, I'm telling you, it, it transformed my life. It was like some kind, it was like the way that I think about it now is like a crystal, like you found a gem, like you found, I don't even know how to explain it. And it just went in and through me. And I was like, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into this. I'm something is here for me. And for the first time I was like, I'm going to do this. And I made a conscious decision that I wanted to start getting into art really deeply and start looking into tarot really deeply. And at the time as well, I was actually in university. So I had a second career awakening when I had my first daughter and I decided I wanted to be a child social worker, like a youth social worker. So I went to Mohawk College and I did two years of a three-year program. And then I realized that I didn't just want to do that. I wanted to be a child psychologist and I wanted to specialize in art therapy. That's what I wanted to do. And so I said, I just, I did it. So I went to university. I started doing university online classes for psychology, majoring in psychology, minoring in social work. And it was like a, it's like a two-year program accelerated, but I couldn't finish it because the pandemic hit. And so around that time, I was going through a whole lot of things. I had just broken up with my best friend at the time. It was like a mutual friendship ending thing, which was absolutely devastating, which we can get into at another time or later in the conversation. But there were just... I talk about these, like every pivotal point in my life, like there was domino effects that kind of forced me to go into this direction. So there was a, I was in school. I had to leave school. My friendship of 14 years with my ex-best friend was ending. I was like trying to do all these things, still trying to like be in that mindset of wanting to do school and psychology because I was just so drawn to healing. And I found that doing the psychology program actually helped me learn more about me and like how I was functioning, how I was processing things, how I could better heal myself. And then when tarot came in, it just came in right at the perfect time when 
I was in search of like deeper healing. And so when tarot came in, I just keep looking at my decks. They're all up above and in the <laughs> shelf above you. And I started like making these connections between tarot and the definitions of the cards and what they each meant. And then also like the healing aspects of psychology and introspection and doing like, when I was in school, we were doing group dynamics. So it's, I would have to put together like programs to help people like achieve certain things. Like we would have a program to help people like come out of their shell more or whatever, teach them like about self-care and how to better utilize your time instead of it. It was like, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to figure out how to explain it. I know what so you like because on, so yeah, deck, I thought I might have it near me, but in the age of Aquarius deck, you have these at the beginning, it's like an introspection. And then you have these yes. questions that you're posing if it's in yes. the shadow or, and it's almost like prompting you to then have a yes. good look at what could that mean for you rather than just being yes. told of oh, this is exactly what it is because it's exactly. all then having to co-create with yes, rather than just looking for, oh, this is what yes. I do. Is that so? That yes, that was the point of Age of Aquarius. Was tarot in and of itself? They have all these pretty rigid definitions, right? But you could. I had the like wherewithal, kind of, I guess, to turn all those things into how you could heal yourself. Because I'm obsessed with the idea of healing people. I feel like I'm a healer. I want people to step into their power, right? Mm -hmm. And the only way you can really step into your true essence is by first healing all the things that are following you from before, right? So there's so many, there's so many different types of karmic cycles and things that will follow you not just you, but from your lineage. So things that will follow you from your mother, things that will follow you from your father, your grandfather, your great-grandmother, you know what I mean? And it's like, how do you stop those cycles from continuing in your own life, right? It's like analyzing not just yourself, but like other people around you too, right? So there was like a lot of healing for myself when I understood like my father better, right? And how he functions and like realizing and recognizing that I can't fix him. There's all these different aspects of healing and letting go and the recognition of you can only really dictate how you're going to live your life. And so that's what I wanted to do with Age of Aquarius was still give it like the tarot definitions and what the cards mean, but also really help the reader, especially because I found like when I was doing readings for myself, I was having a hard time really like determining what the message is. And I find for a lot of people, it's hard because your own ego is in the way of you receiving a message for yourself. Whereas if I have a message for somebody else, it's very, it's like water. It just comes out mm -hmm. you take it or you don't. And most of the time when I do a reading for somebody, it's 
pretty point on, but I don't offer readings because I think that just like anything else, people can get addicted, right? Mm -hmm. People can get addicted to readings and having somebody like tell you about you, but I'm not, the whole thing is I'm not saying anything that you don't already know. It's just me confirming to what you already know. Yeah. And that's the help that some people need though. And I'm, I'm more than willing to give it, but yeah, no, for the tarot and with all the things that I'm bringing in, like with saltwater spirit and now with pearls of wisdom. Yeah. I'd love you to share about, cause we're nearly at the end of our time and I might have to oh, get yeah. you back on again <laughs> to that's, do it. Another one, but I'd love you to share about what you're working on at the moment and what's coming up for you. Yeah. So I have a Pearls of Wisdom deck coming out and it's just, I call it an Oracle, but there is no guidebook. It's, I'm trying to do something a little bit different where I want it to be more introspective. And so I kind of want to take away the crutch of a guidebook to help people. There's still like a, there's like a pamphlet inside the, inside the deck to kind of give you a breakdown of what it is what it's about. But on each of the cards, there's just one keyword or one title and then like a mantra or a saying. So it's almost like a, a fortune cookie. I wanted it to be kind of in that realm where it's like, you just take the advice or you just take the word at face value. And so I just think it's like a really beautiful way of supporting yourself every day. And for is, that, is that complete? Like when's that due out? Is that coming yes. out? Yeah. So basically the manufacturer said that they're just doing the gold foil because it's a gold foil deck and all the boxes are done. Everything's printed and they should be shipping off this week to me. So mm-hmm. I should be receiving it in the next couple of weeks and everything goes out. Everything will start shipping out in, I want to say about three or four weeks from now. So there, there's that's completed. But then I'm also working on new tarot called Emerald Papyrus. The Emerald Beautiful. Papyrus. Ooh. That sounds very so, exciting. That's my vibe. Yes. <laughs> so the Emerald Papyrus is going to be a 78-card tarot deck. And it is going to be all about... It's going to have all Egyptian symbols and gods and goddesses and like references. I just feel really called to Mm. ancient Egypt and the Egyptian culture and their symbolism. And so what I've done with this tarot is try to make a connection to the emerald tablets. So that's where the emerald papyrus comes in. Yeah, I feel that. I'm so drawn to the emerald tablets and Toth and yeah, everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's that's where we know um, each other from. It's got to be, it's got to be, <laughs> but so I have that going and then I have another like an affirmations type deck called atmosphere that I'm working on. So there's a lot in the works. Mm, it's just, yeah. It's just time getting in the creative mode of doing things and yeah. So I'm just, I'm doing what I'm guided to do. Nobody can say that I'm not. (laughs) And uh, in divine timing, everything will be ready. Yeah, beautiful. And your art is just magical. 
So thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad that's what you're doing. It's very, and one thing that I do feel to share is that you are such an intuitive artist because it's almost like you are showing a photo and then immediately you tune into what that will be. That's been my experience of working with you. And one thing that I thought was really amazing is that when I gave you a photo and you created this this piece of art with the lions and you thought it might be for age of a grace. And you're like, no, that's not for that. But then I ended up doing the lion's gate and it was like, almost like he had tapped into. Yeah. yeah so I find that really magical. It's, it's an intuitive, like you're channeling. Yeah. Um, so basically when it comes to like my artwork, I like to do the, the collage multimedia or mixed media type of art. Right. But a lot of times when I have people like you, my other models, they donate basically their photography. I always get this question, what do you want? Tell me like what positions or whatever. And I say, I always say, don't ask me. I'm like, inquire within, do what you feel comfortable doing. Send me as many as you feel comfortable sending me. You can send me 10, five, a hundred. It doesn't matter because what will end up happening is I have to see the photo. And then I literally, what happens is I just open my mind and I envision what it is before I actually make it. And so sometimes I will attempt to make art with specific photos and it just, it's hard because it's not, I can't force it. You know what I mean? And when it's forced, it just, it doesn't look right. There's just something, it's not right. You've got to let the magic happen. Yes. Yeah. And the pictures that you sent me, that one that I did, oh my God, right away when I saw it, I was like, (gasps) the beautiful artwork for the Becoming Iris podcast is by Yana. And it was a bit of a a stretch for me because it wasn't actually... picture that I had thought and she's like this is the one I was like oh it might be a bit risque but then I was like no it's perfect so I completely trust I'm so thrilled with it better than anything I could have imagined so thank you for that and thank you for being on the podcast today I mean I could talk to you for hours and hours I know we'll have to have you back again at a future date and we can talk about some more things So yeah, thank you so much. And I will put your your contact links below so that people can see where to purchase your beautiful cards and everything like that. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, (laughs) Yana. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to click subscribe to be notified of new episodes as they're released. And if you would like to show your support for the podcast, please leave a review of what you've enjoyed and any donations are also much appreciated. You can follow me on Instagram at Becoming Iris Podcast and stay up to date with all of my offerings, including one-on-one sessions, courses and retreats. I hope you'll join me next time on Becoming Iris for more Starseed Stories.